for those who don't know, I've, I've been in radio for 26 years, so I'm, my whole life is talking a lot. So I have to have an alarm. <clears throat> right. Uh, it's good to have time while all the, the cats are away, the mice can play. Although Andre's been remarkably well behaved. <laughs> so I'll report that back to Dylan because he was you were his major concern. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll leave it at that. I shouldn't have got him going. I mean I shot myself in the foot. <clears throat> right, the the title of my uh preach this evening as we've learned uh, Dylan and Spurgeon and all the rest of the guys, it's good to give a, a good title, is Paul's pattern of freedom from lockdown. And you might think, well, uh, lockdown has come and gone 10 months ago and we've all uh, weathered the storm. During a lockdown, I think it was the second year, the year before last, Dylan and I started a podcast called Dying to Live. And uh, the first book we chose to work through, we did video and audio, was the book of Philippians. And our, our research and study of Philippians was remarkable, especially in the day and age that we were living at that time. And as we looked into it more and more, we realized the, 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 the huge parallel between what Paul was undergoing and what we were as individuals undergoing, the first uh, however long it was when we couldn't leave your homes. Uh, I never experienced that. I was able to leave my home whenever I wanted to. So, But I do know, I used to go visit all the members of the congregation and uh, find out how it was going. So I knew that people were uh, struggling being locked down. And it was no different to Paul. Paul had a Roman soldier next to him. He was under house arrest at that time. And he understood what it meant to have his whole life cramped. And so as we, as we went through uh, the study and saw the parallels of just how difficult it was for him and how we were experiencing, to a degree, I mean, you can't compare ourselves to uh, Paul, you know, he was facing uh, a lot more than we were. So my question to you and us is, if you want to honest, how many of you are lockdown survivors who who consider that you survived lockdown. I mean, that you, uh, I mean, I, I know, de def definitely, Blake, you're definitely a survivor. I know some of your story and how you were locked down and your teaching and stuff like that, but lots of us, uh, it really impacted us. Uh, what I do now compared to what I did three years ago, or March 25th, 2020, completely different. So, so what I'm trying to say is that all of us, uh, were impacted by lockdown, and as the, the release came, got back to a sense of normality, there was still, I mean, all the people I've spoken to, there's still, there's always been, there's been a, a residue left behind. When we hear 60,000 people have died in China at the moment, 80% of the Chinese have got this new, another strain of COVID. The question is always, what if? Is something going to happen? And the what ifs always bring that anxiety the anxiety that uh, we shouldn't be living under. And, I mean, many of us have been impacted financially, employment, so they're things that lie in the back of our minds. And a lot of people I've spoken to have got uh, anxiety in their hearts, anxiety in their minds, the what-ifs, especially if you're, if you're in your own business, you, you're dependent on 
uh, like my wife's business depended on tourists. When the tourists stopped, everything just died. So there's lots to think about. I know financial employment, health, grief. I mean, grief and loss was another big one that's left a lot of residue. I mean, people you know who've lost family members or friends, it's still there. I mean, it takes years to grieve. And the problem is we've carried many of these uh, lockdown issues over into our new lives, as they call it, the new normal. I mean, doing business has changed. I mean, we've experienced that. Education has changed. We're the te I mean, you're a classic example, teaching over the internet. I mean, so many classes, I remember uh, in radio I used to interview uh, Tim Noakes, and he said to us about seven or eight years ago, universities are gonna become institutions of research, learning is gonna go online. And he said that on air, people say, oh, what does Tim Noakes know? You know, he's making non-sports uh, science statements. Now, when you look back at it, how much education is actually on, online? And then even our, our entertainment has changed. A lot more watching videos and doing stuff online than I don't think I've been to a movie cinema, I don't know how many years. And then of course, communication. We communicate via video, we communicate via WhatsApp audio. We don't do that face-to-face -face stuff like we did. So it's changed quite dramatically. And, but even in our own congregation, we've, we've had coupled with lock, lockdown, major, major challenges. Unemployment, serious illness, huge financial ch challenges, the loss of loved ones, health challenges, I mean, even pastoral challenges, our elders will tell you, just the, the challenges of, of people in the congregation who are struggling and suffering. So everything. And so many people are still locked down in their minds. I mean, we've got, I don't think we've got any lockdown freedoms at the moment. I mean, everything is, has changed physically, but in our minds, uh, it's, it can be hectic at times. I mean, even if you're completely free from lockdown-related challenges, there are enough anxieties in this new uh, year, 2023, hanging over from 2022. I mean, lots of people are concerned about Ukraine and, you know, is it going to lead to a world war and the rest of it. So, out of this, the text or chapter I've chosen to speak on is uh, Philippians 4. Now, this is a chapter that's impacted me quite dramatically over my uh, life. When I say Im impacted, specifically two verses, that's Philippians 4, 5 to 6. I mean, it's kept me sane, maybe not Rene. <laughs> maybe my, my lack of sanity at times has impacted her more than it's impacted, impacted me. But, I mean, I've really had to take those two vo verses and sometimes spend hours before I get, got my head from under the, under the pillow and uh, able to face the day, but making that a part of my life. So, whenever we study, meditate, or read on God's Word, we need to place what we are reading in context. And I'm trying to do this, I'm relating uh, Philippians Paul's house arrest, the nearest thing that we can look at, and that is, of course, lockdown. You need to remember the Bible wasn't written to us. I mean, you all agree the Bible wasn't written to Josh Chen Musenberg, although it was written for us. God, in his foreknowledge, knew that we would be impacted by it and need it. But we do need to, when we look at the God's Word, look at the pretext and the context and, and see what parallels we can learn from what Paul was going through and some of the instructions uh, he gave us. 
And I mean, if it was good enough for the Philippians, then surely it's good enough for us. But the problem that we have with biblical interpretation, we often lose in translation a lot of things because English is not your best language for shades of meaning. So I studied New Testament Greek at Bible College. I did little introductory courses, but I'm no scholar. I'm just good at detective work and finding out things and doing some research. So when I share these Greek words, I'm not doing it from the point of view of scholarship. I'm doing it because I've done a lot of detective work and digging. So I'm trying to look at a way we can apply this chapter 4 to us as Paul was speaking to the Philippians who had sent him gifts. They had uh, out of their lack they supported Paul. Even they said, I didn't need it, but on your behalf, I'm happy you did it so that you would be blessed. So what I've tried to do is reduce Philippians 4 to 2, 6, I mean to 6 points, uh, using alliteration, the letter P. So uh, please be bear with me uh, as some of us who have reached the pensionable age. I won't look at anybody. You've only got a year to go, eh? Yeah, so you, you're going to join us. But uh, it's good to, to attach, to hang points on so we, we will remember. So the, the first one is from verse 4. I mean, that's in chapter 4. Rejoice in the, in the Lord, and that's praise. You know, when you find yourself in situations, and I'm speaking to myself because I've got to work this out in my own life, and I've got a very good monitor I'm married to who will make sure that I work this out, that what I preach, I'm actually <laughs> living it. But our foundation for getting over anxiety from circumstances we face individually is defocusing on what we are focusing on and refocusing on God. We have to. I mean, uh, the fasts are a classic example. I mean, I read uh, Miriam's Facebook posts. I mean, it, uh, the last one shook me when I realized uh, what we need to do. And so often we look at our situations and think, oh, woe is me. But there's always someone who's actually going through something much bigger and surviving the challenges and being successful in what God's word says and obeying God's word. I mean, rejoicing what we have, what God has done for us, what God continues to do, sustaining us. Paul then adds again, says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And that's because we sheep, and sheep are stupid. You know, I, I watch a lot of border collie little TikToks and how these border collies handle the sheep. And they take no nonsense. When they say go, if the sheep doesn't go, it's a bite on the ear. You know, sometimes Paul needs to emphasize these things to us because we don't uh, listen and he needs to repeat. What we need to do, I heard a very, very good illustration. must have been we'd just been married and I actually started teaching it. We need to take these rocks of affliction, pain, illness, and start building an altar. And climb on that altar, make a sacrifice of praise, and rejoice on top of your circumstances. Pain, sickness, suffering, heartache, death, you know, illness, all these things really get to us. We need to somehow, not physically, I mean, if you need to go in the garden and take a rock and name that rock pain and that one, and, and do it physically to remember that we, we need to make that sacrifice of praise and rejoice in and despite the circumstances we are facing. Paul was facing death by execution, so circumstances couldn't have been more dire than this, and yet he 
double emphasizes to rejoice in whatever the, the circumstances are. And I'd like to encourage you, that word rejoice, when I studied at Theological College, we had several textbooks and lexicons and the like. Now that is available to everyone. When I was preparing, virtually all of this came from my pocket Bible and, and uh, websites that I found on Google. And they all lined up. So you can go out there, you can do word studies and theme studies, but rejoice is a great one, especially as we're going through trying and anxious, anxious times. There was just something interesting. One of the words, the word is rejoice, that I, I did a word study on. And it's, rejoice has an element of experiencing God's grace. That's why we rejoice. It's more of a greeting one to another. Rejoice. You say to another person, rejoice. So it brings in that whole corporate and community. So rejoicing is pretty public as the, the, the root word goes. And it brings that sense of community. If I tell Andre, rejoice. I'm telling myself, we, we're telling each other to rejoice. So moving on to the second one, the, the second P is the, is the prayer and petition. Where it says, I mean, these are quite stringent commands. It says, do not worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, giving another element of praise, rejoicing, let your requests be made known to God. And I, I know it can be tough. The last thing you feel like doing, I mean, Rene will bear me out. Sometimes I say, I can't pray. I feel like a hypocrite if I pray. You know, I just feel that I'm, I'm in such a, a position of anxiety or trouble that I, I don't even want to do that. But this is a very, very, very clear command. It doesn't say whine, whinge, or wail. How's that three W's there? WWW. About the circumstances you're in. We all, is anyone here not an expert on having a pity party? Because the rest of us will be able to educate you on how to do it. We, we, we love getting into those zones. I mean, I'm, I have my own way, you know, woe is me. I'm, I'm, everything, the circumstances are too much. I don't have enough income. Uh, my wife earns more than me. And, you know, I'm just not the man I should be. And you know how it goes. But there are two very strong commands here. Do not worry about anything or be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and uh, petition let your request be made known to God. And the, those two, prayer and petition, they sound pretty normal to us. But the words, the Greek words Paul used were exceptionally specific and carried a real weighty meaning. The first one, prayer, is a prayer directed to God, but the basic idea is being before him immediately. When you pray, it's, you, you come into God's presence immediately you need to be intentional and you're there. It's not just sort of this airy-fairy, you sort of meander along. And it has the, this word, prosuke, has an idea of bringing something to God when you pray. For example, adoration, devotion, worship. And that, that links back to the, the command to rejoice. And then the other one, petition, is very specific as well. It's to make known a particular want or need that is urgent and you know what is lacking. So when you petition God, you need to be specific. I'll refer to that just um, a little bit later. But 
these strong words, the other one was, uh, be anxious for nothing. That nothing means not even one thing, not a single thing. So we, we exclude it. I mean, Paul says, I mean, he's shut all the gates. There's no, there's no escape route when he puts these things down. And the other one is, uh, in the strong word, everything, the idea of totality in every, res- in every respect. So he is putting it, putting it down here. We just fortunate as English speakers that it's been diluted a lot. But when you get back to it, he is exceptionally clear on what he wants to say. He closes the door on everything. So you either obey or walk in disobedience to God's word. So when you're having that time of anxiety, ah, oh, poor me, don't read Philippians chapter 4 because it's going to sort you out. It's going to put you in your place. But this obedience to what, God, what uh, Paul is saying has an immediate response from God. And that brings us to verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if you've been obedient and specific and saying, God, I am going to be anxious for nothing. And in everything, I'm going to bring my petition, my, my requests to you. I'm going to be specific about it. I, I think I've uh, noted a little bit further on, but I'll, I'll say it now. When Andre was being prayed for at that meeting, when his healing started, what, what did the, the guy said? Be specific in what you want. And he was so specific, he scared the specialists the next day when he said, I don't want a heart transplant. I want to be healed by God. Now, you know, we can debate in hindsight, hindsight is twenty twenty vision, we, we can look back and say, well, he was specific and he got his healing. It's not as simple as that. But it is an example of being specific. You know, God, I don't want a heart transplant. Well, God came through and he didn't need, heart, need a heart transplant. So, this peace that God brings, that passes all comprehension, all understanding, which will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, peace is not a lack of war. People in the world look at peace as a lack of war. But this Greek, Greek word, I mean, the lady's name, Irene, Irene, comes from it, Irene. And this has a, a huge meaning of peace in mind and tranquility, but not just that arising out of reconciliation with God. Without reconciliation with God, there is no peace. And it's something that is specific to Christians. No one outside of the Christian of, the, of God's community can experience peace. It's just not part of the deal. There is, there is nothing like that. You can have lack of war, but you don't have that peace. And the other thing with that word, it's rooted in salvation. Now, some of these, I've been a Christian now 55 years, and just this research and the study I've done this week, some of these things have been really, really mind-blowing, and it also means health, welfare, prosperity of every kind arising from salvation, but not material things. So within the salvation that God has given you, He's given you, giving the, giving you, sorry, given you those, those aspects. Jesus also spoke of peace in John 14, 27, when He said, peace I leave with you, 
my peace I give to you, and this is what uh, backs up what I was saying about worldly peace. Not as the world gives, give I to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So peace in any situation comes as part of a process and a personal action. If you're not doing the things that he's commanded you to, be anxious about nothing but in everything. If you're not heeding those commands, you know, the next step, the next peace is, might not happen. It's not that God gives it to you, but your action removes it from, from your, your mind, the worry, the remembering that with, with all the fear and the anxiety. I have never experienced this peace without pressing into God. I remember sitting on the toilet. I mean, <laughs> I, I was in, let me get clarifications. <laughs> Clarification. I had, wow, I'm thinking now, this boss was the age I was at now. Maybe she had a reason to be cranky. Am I cranky? I was an internal auditor working for this big company, and she, she didn't like me, and she gave me a hard time. And so I would do, I, when I needed a break, I'd go to the toilet, put the seat down, the lids, I sat on the lid, and I would take my pocket Bible out really, re, read Philippians 4, 5, and 6. So 4, 5, and 6, until I believed it. And uh, she probably thought I had a bad stomach or something, but I was getting up the courage to go back and face her again. And it worked. When I say in the, some mornings I've had to spend hours just going through maybe up to 500 times go through those verses until I believe what God is saying and I can put into practice. Then I got up and, and life was, I mean, this happened up three weeks ago, 3 a.m., all the worries of the world hit me. And it was those verses and putting that into practice, into action that brought the, 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 the personal peace that I needed. God promises the peace, but it takes time for our feeble minds to comprehend and to accept it and to appropriate it. I mean, I look at the Andre and Debbie and uh, what's your name? Uh, Maryev. <laughs> Maryev and Mike and the boys and others who've had to really push into God until they got the peace. Mike was facing death in imminent death. Andre, I mean, the radio interview I did, did with him, we called it Dead Man Walking, because that's how close the reality of death, death was. And if you can get peace in that situation, that's why I've just got to, when I read some of Mary Eve's posts, I've just got to stop and say, well, you know, sorry, I've just got to, I'm really, I can't, I can't do, look at what I'm doing. If they can handle it, I've got to be able to handle it. Um, to petition or appeal does have an element of desperation, intercession, and conti continuity. That's what the original scriptures, and I'm sure uh, the, the two families I'm used, there's a bit of desperation when you petitioning God, 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 with De I know with Debbie, God, God, God. You know, you've got to do something in this situation. This is life or death. Um, is there anyone here who hasn't taken an anxiety pill at some time in their life? Okay, you don't have to answer. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had to take at times, and it is the easy way out. Uh, Rene, have you got a pill for me? I take one, and it makes me feel better, but I don't get to the root of it. And I know beyond a doubt, 
I need to press into God to get that peace. Because as soon as the pill wears off, I'm going to have to face it again. So the next P is for practice. We see in, it's, uh, where is it? Paul says in verse 9, keep on doing the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will, is that the one? Yeah, keep on seeing this, it's just a translation, doing the things, practicing the things that I have commanded you to do. Unless we take that and put it into action, we aren't going to, we aren't going to see the results Paul is promising us, and these are promises in, in, in the situations we're in. Uh, again, he refers back when, to the peace of God and the God of peace. Unless you practice these commands, you're not going to receive that. And Paul has put a natural progression, as you see in, in chapter, chapter 4. Then, moving on to the next P, that's the fifth one, is power. Now, we, we know this verse so, so well. Uh, but I want to read from verse 12 first. No, verse 11. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed, of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in Him. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, I know that scripture has been taken out of context, especially in the Pentecostal charismatic church. I can do all things. Let me just give you a little bit of uh, insight. I mean, up until recently, I thought the same thing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if you take what Paul is saying in context, if you look at the verse prior where he, where he has these contrasts of in need, content, little, plenty, well-fed, hungry, plenty, in need. I, I did a little word study on that verse, and I had a look at, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this little word, do, has a special relevance in the way Paul was writing it in the original Greek. It doesn't mean I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you look at the preceding two verses, the meaning of that do in the light of uh, Philippians 4.13 is I can, I can endure all things through him who strengthens me. That do is to endure. It's not that I can do all things. Now, I, you, know, you take it as a promise from God, I can do all things. In the light of what we are going through, in the light of I have a lot. I have had lots of life, and I've seen dire sickness. Despite all that, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, so often we remove these texts. I mean, I was in a very big charismatic pentel word of faith church, and we got all these texts preached in isolation. We were never, it was never done in the, the whole chapter or the series of, of verses. But now it's so much more encouraging to me that he says, what you endured in lockdown, I can strengthen you. I can give you strength to endure, endure that. 
And it's no longer something that, uh, well, that was Paul, you know, he said, I can do all things. I don't ever feel like I can do all things when I'm in that position. But when you look at it in the light of the, of the hardships, the good, the bad, the fun, the sad, the sadness, that scripture encourages me that I can endure all things through him who strengthens me. Whatever, Mary of Mike, you guys, what God throws at you in the extreme, you've been able to endure. It's been remarkable. I know there's people who've got maybe not as dire situations where you've had to face loss of jobs, business failure, potential of losing homes. Those are big things. You know, God gives the grace ticket to the person who's going on the journey. God will never give me the grace ticket to understand what Andre's been through because I'm not going through it. When I start my journey of my uh, big issues, he'll give me the grace ticket for that journey. So he does. And that word there, through him who strengthens me, uh, you'll, you'll know where this comes from. It's derived from the Greek word. We know the Greek word as dunamis, dynamite, dynamic. The strength that he gives you is dynamic strength. That's what comes from him. That's the power that comes from him. That dunamis, dynamite power is what he promises. And that word literally means like putting petrol in a car, fuel in a rocket, cause someone to function or do something. So he will give you that whatever, because a car is useless unless it's got petrol in. But that empowering is what puts the, those of us who are old, the tiger in your tank. The rest of you won't understand that. Right. So then the, the final P that comes through in this is in verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, you know I've, I'm going to throw another curveball because that doesn't mean what we uh, have been taught. And my God will, shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So let me throw the curveball. Curve I did a little study on that, but first, what I did was, I went back into the pretext, put it in context. Paul said, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. These are the Philippians he's talking to. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will, will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I thought, let me just have a quick look at that need. I, th I thought I, I know what, it, what the answer would be. I mean, I'm, I'm fully charismaticized. I've been a Christian for 55 years. And I wasn't, I didn't realize I'd get another surprise. That word for need is a Greek word called chreia, which means a debt. A debt. Or one who owes a debt, the very basic necessities. And I read that again, 
And I thought, God, what does this mean? When you give to someone in need, it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, especially when done sacrificially in your own, in your, uh, out of your own need. And this, as I said, this verse has been misinterpreted because it's very, very simple. It specifically references the Philippians. And Paul is saying, in your indebtedness, as you have given sacrificially, as you have given to the point where you need to be, now need to be dependent on others because you've given so much and on multiple occasions, because you have done this, I'm going to supply all, all you need out of my riches in Christ Jesus. Because unless you can take a scripture like that, and these don't come in paragraphs. We start in a new paragraph. Now, I can, my God, supply all my needs. It comes from him saying, you were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches. He's talking specifically into the need that had been created by them. They were the poorest church. Out of that, that uh, poverty, they, they were the ones who gave. The rest of the wealthy churches didn't give. And out of that, now, because you've given sacrificially, God has promised that he's going to supply that indebtedness that you now have, that dependence you have on others for your needs because you gave to me. So for me, it gives such a, a different understanding of Philippians, where Paul is talking from a person in lockdown Although he's very positive, he had needs. He needed clothes to be brought to him as books. He needed uh, the finances. But he always attributes to the person who gave and said, I didn't really need that. God would have provided for me. But because God used you, you receive the blessing out of that. And so, of course, that final uh, P, number six, is, is provision. Don't get me wrong. You don't give to create debt. If you have nothing, don't borrow from the bank to pay and to give to somebody, creating a debt. You know, uh, I'm not saying that, and nor do I think Paul in any way is saying, go borrow from whoever and uh, start giving away, because I'm pretty sure you're going to owe the bank a big amount of money, and God's not going to say, oh, wow, such a good guy, such a good lady, I'm going to repay it. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying when you're in giving from your heart, so much to what you feel God wants you to give, and it causes you to be in a situation like that, God's going to come, come through for you. He came through for Paul. He came through for the Philippians. The original Greek is very clear, and we know that Paul, Paul chose these words very specifically. And I think we need to look behind, do some in-depth study, as I said, which is available to all of us, not just people who've been to uh, Bible college or studied to be pastors or had the opportunity, like Marco, to do a school of biblical studies and have an amazing uh, time in studying God's Word. We can all do that now, and I would encourage you when, you, when you do your Bible study, start looking at the different things, and if, it, if the pretext and the scripture, the context doesn't tie up, do a bit of digging. Okay, so quickly, let me just go through that again. So when you're anxious about difficult situations, remember these six things. Number one, praise. Rejoice always in what God has done for you. Return to the basics of how far he has brought you. 
provided for you and blessed you. Create that sacrificial altar from your problems. Climb on top and rejoice. Number two, pray and petition. Pray, pray, pray. Be very specific in what you need. Remember Andre's prayer. Number three, the peace of God will come, but it is conditional. We need to do our part as God places a sentinel to guard our minds. Just a little uh, quick one on that one. The word for God is a sentinel or a watchkeeper or someone that secures the perimeter. They take special notice or stare at. Imagine God staring at you because he's guarding, making sure no one's going to come. But within that, within that perimeter of your mind, it's up to you. Because uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take captive those thoughts. He's going to be guarding the perimeter, but the peace comes when you start doing something within the perimeter that he is actually guarding. Practice, put into practice what you've learned. Think about these things. Deliberate. What, what he said give it thought, take heed. And then number five, power. He has empowered you to endure the situation you're in. You can. Bible says a lot about endurance. You can endure it, endure, endure the, the circumstances. God has given you the, the dynamic power to do that. And then finally, provision. This is two sides. As you're generous in providing sacrificially to others, so you too will be provided for you in your indebtedness or dependence out of the riches of Christ Jesus. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Wayne. I think